I am the legendary Burl Bear, the man over there, Howard Lapidus, manager to the star, and this character is Mark C.G. Boyer. And now, True Crime Uncensored. Our guest, Chris Cipollini, author of a brand new book about Lucky Luciano. Why another book on Lucky Luciano? That's that. That's the million-dollar question. I even had to ask myself that. Okay, why take this on? There have been plenty of good books on Luciano already done. There have been plenty of well, not so good books on Luciano done. I I took it on. Long story short, uh, after my first book. My publisher asked if I wanted to take part in a, a sort of a gangland mystery series of books that different authors were all going to, you know, pick subjects. And they came up with a few, and one of them was Luciano's role, alleged role in World War II. Oh, and see, now that's I, where, I, yeah, that, that's where it's going to get difficult for you on your research because the FBI is not going to release a lot of that stuff. Well, you know, that's a good point. And I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll try this, even though, boy, you're talking about some heated debate here. Um, I went back to my publisher after talking to uh, my ex-wife, uh, talking <laughs> to my publisher. My Yeah, I get some, actually some good info from her. Um, we, we discussed it and thought, you know what? There are a lot of things about Luciano that haven't been talked about, and there are lots of things that are still debated amongst historians, writers, and even just people who love reading this stuff. So I took the task of not trying to reinvent the wheel, but give the mysteries. I like the salacious ones, so I threw those in there. <laughs> good, good. Uh, good. So he liked, he liked wearing, t- uh, you know, uh, uh, dresses and or dancing in Fallish Bazaar or something? You know... I, that I didn't find. Uh, uh, of course, we could talk about J. Edgar, uh, who I mentioned in the book, but that's not... No, Charlie's were a little less... Um, I, they weren't quite like that. It was, it was more basic stuff, but still, I think it's pretty neat. Um, some of the things that have uh, been... I don't know, debated, I guess, over the years. If I may interject, Mark only inserts, so to speak, um, (laughs) the things that he knows and adores. So he he transforms that onto uh, some of our subject matter, some of our authors, and some of the subject matter of the authors. He's done that apparently again today. So so I do, I get in and I make excuses for him, but you know what? To each his own, and I'm good for it. Uh, That's okay. Just keep it at home and do whatever you want. All right. Right. You guys keep it lively, though. Always a lively <laughs> and, Well, we have to. I mean, we're talking about guys that killed people today. <laughs> yeah, you have to have a dose of humor injected. Or I think even as a writer, we would go insane. Sure. I mean, uh, it, it, there, you, you could do another book about the humor of Lucky Luciano. That, you know what? If, I, we still might have a hard time finding a whole <laughs> lot of humor in it. And the wit and wisdom is Piro Agnew. Yeah, he was funny. Well, yeah, he was funny. Piro Agnew was funny. I guess they all kind of are when you think about certain parts of it. I, I mean, but you know what? Uh, there are, I, I don't want to say it's like Jerry Seinfeld funny, uh, but there are things in the book that kind of made me chuckle. Uh, you know things that were said or that these guys did uh, over the years, but you you know that you know there's always 
there's things to find and pick out that were kind of ridiculous, Speaking I suppose is a good word. Chris, you went and you decided to do this and to do a book about Lucky Luciano. What are some of the things that maybe you found that we sure didn't know? I mean, you know, with all the good books, the bad books, and the things that you've read and all the research you did, what did you come up with that you found extraordinarily interesting that we didn't know? The most interesting... The most interesting thing I found in the book was digging, while digging through these really obscure newspapers, uh, just hundreds of them, I stumbled across an interview from 1962 with the cop who actually found Luciano after he had been taken for a ride. What that man told this little neighborhood reporter for a Florida newspaper, it not only changed what I thought, it also threw more monkey wrenches into the theories of what happened when Lucky Luciano was taken for a ride. And I had never seen this anyone actually talk to the cop that found him. And, and what his recollection was. I think it's the most fascinating part of the whole book, though I obviously like my whole book. Um, <laughs> and is, I, yeah, obviously, the book. look the other the other part of this is I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to ask you what what the the story of what, what that cop said, and I'm still going to promise you that we will sell your book today. I promise that. Okay, <laughs> even though we're going to give up certain parts of it because I think it's extraordinarily interesting and, and and will go to people buying your book. Tell us what the cop said. Okay, without giving away the whole thing, the cop... No, 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 you have to give away the whole thing. I don't think you're going to... Do I? Am I I obligated? Did I sign on to that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know what, guys? Somehow I think you would drag it out of me. Um, I'll I'll say this. I'll say this. A lot of, uh, you know, the years and movies always made it like Lucky was beat up by uh, by his enemies. Okay, Uh, Salvatore Maranzano had him beat up. And as it came to be known, it was probably cops looking for Jack Legs Diamond because they knew Charlie was friends with him, okay? Charlie stuck to that story, but this cop told this Sarasota newspaper in 1962 that when he found Luciano, they brought him to the hospital, they're stitching him up, the cop goes back to the scene of the crime and found what corroborated that he had been taped up, tied up, and beaten, but he also found a footprints of women's high heel shoes in the sand, along with some men's shoes. So right Hoover, was, Hoover was there. Uh, yeah, he could have been. <laughs> oh my, yeah, you know what? I didn't even think of that correlation. Boy, talk about conspiracy. You guys just whipped the <laughs> new one ever, up. Did you ever watch a uh, short-lived series uh, uh, called Magic City? Oh yes, loved it actually. It was terrific, right? Uh, so, so there's a storyline in there that just hit me about the women's, the footprints in the sand of the women's, uh, the women's uh, f- feet. Um, could be where they got. It could be. Yeah. And and I hope uh, not not to get off, I, but I do hope. If this book does anything, it makes people go, oh, i got to dig into this more. Or, hey, there could be tons more books to be written by people about this. That's what I hope each of these stories in it does. But as for this retired cop who was just a beat cop, I mean, he, you know, he goes back and finds this evidence. And then 
some of the other detectives said, hey, we heard Luciano was waiting for a woman, and it was a cop's daughter. It just, it throws so many different scenarios into it. But he even contradicted himself, guys, because the same cops telling this reporter, yeah, but then we had a list of suspects, and all of them ended up with cement shoes. So, and that wouldn't have been police. That were, you know, who really did it is, is still the question. Who really did it? What I will put to bed, I will on your show say this. I will put this to bed. His nickname and his scars, okay? He did not get the nickname from surviving the ride, okay? He did get scars from that, but it's not how he got his nickname, and I'm not telling you how he got his nickname. Oh, it was the ponies. <laughs> so there, there, track. There, there you go. No, we don't do our homework here. So, um, <laughs> so uh, tell me something about Loki Luciano. Um, sure. Damn. So you, 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 here's a, how does he do this? Okay, there's two, two things I have to know. Go. One, how does he get up in the morning and go about his day knowing full well what that day is? We all get up, we go, you're, you're, a, you're a writer, you get up, and you know, pretty much know what you're going to do. Right. Girl, the same thing. Writer pretty much knows what he's going to do. Right. I'm, I'm in show business. I have no clue what I'm going to do. <laughs> Neither do his clients. Nobody. And that's okay. Uh, and Mark, uh, C.G. Boyer, uh, works with numbers. He knows what he's going to do. But how does Lucky Luciano get out of bed in the morning knowing, you know what? I may, uh, first of all, I'm going to do uh, things that are illegal all day. And I may even have to kill somebody. And then be able to rest at night. How does that work? What is What, what kind of a mindset are we talking about here? I think if you talk to any, uh, any historian, any law enforcement officer, uh, in fact, talk to uh, a lot of former, you know, bad guys, they'll, they'll tell you or express it in so many words, there has to be a psychology of some narcissism. I, I can't imagine there isn't, especially with the ones that really rise up, there has to be narcissism, which changes the dynamic okay sure a lot of them i think started off as maybe feeling entitled uh i think charlie in his case he was like a lot of jewish and italian kids in you know those neighborhoods in lower manhattan that were looking up all you knew was that people like carnegie and biltmore were rich and running the show and these kids didn't necessarily think that was going to happen unless they did it you know, the other way. Did it my way. Yeah. So. I mean, to get up every morning, I I will add on to that. Later in life, Luciano, when he he started giving interviews, said that he really did think he was going to end up dead or in jail. I mean, he always felt that that would probably be the two outcomes for him. Was it about the money or the power? Oh, wow. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Um, you know what? I'm not even sure I I would I could sleep at night if I gave an answer to that. My feeling is it's like the frog in the water where you turn the water up to a boil, but because they're cold-blooded, they don't know they're dying until they're mm-hmm. dead. Yeah, I think it's a gradual process. They start off and they're into it. And uh, and also there's a, sometimes there's a mistaken altruism. I uh, spent the other evening with Freeway Ricky Ross 
you know, one time was doing like $3 million a day in cocaine sales. Right. And he said that when he first started, he said he thought he was doing a good thing, bringing co- uh, selling all that coke. And he says, well, right. why is that? He says, because he says, I felt that I was bringing a bit of Hollywood lifestyle to people who'd been left out of everything. They all wanted to be part of that life, part of that scene that they could never be in. All those celebrities, you know, snorting coke and doing this. And I was bringing them a little bit of Hollywood. Oh, man. He says, that's yeah, how yeah. I thought of it you at know, that time. Uh, my client, Dr. Drew, wrote a book. and um, Called Narcissism with a big picture of himself on the front. That's <laughs> <laughs> how I have the book. Yeah. Wow. You do have the book. And, wow, Burrow. And I, I, I find that to be insulting. <laughs> rough crowd, rough crowd. Why, that yeah. I have the book? No, <laughs> no it, it, there is a narci- there's a test for narcissism in the book. And it's a scale of like one to thirty, and you know, if you're coming around fifteen, you're doing okay. I'd probably be off the chart. But so is the test a mirror? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it breaks every time you open to that page. Uh, hey, let me different... let me ask you something, Chris. I have a... uh, this might answer a question. Uh, what happened when Luciano died? Mm-hmm. He had some money, right? Yeah, I mean he. The amount of money he had, I mean, who knows, because that stuff is hidden, and he owned some uh, properties, he owned some businesses, or what was really a front and what wasn't, you know, and what was really laundered. But when he died, uh, and they finally agreed to let his brother bring him back to the United States and bury him in Queens, they put him in a $30,000 vault in St. John's Cemetery, so money was coming from somewhere. And I know, you know, his brothers and nephews didn't have the kind of money he had. So, so what happened to the money? Oh, any money left over? Uh, that's a good question. I didn't address that particular mystery. Uh, you just opened the door for every researcher wants to dig into that. How much did he have? Uh, where did it go? Well, <laughs> every, well uh, you know, this is where I get into it with, with him. I get into it with all of the guys. We we all, Howard, if you remember, they all say, well, they were spending it as fast as they could get it. Yeah, except Meyer Lansky didn't. Meyer Lansky knew what he was doing. because well, he was Jewish. That's not the point. <laughs> and he had an accountant. It's all the point. <laughs> my uncle. Yeah. Hey, yeah, you know, and I, and I go down knowing that my, my cousin was one of his right-hand men. But that's neither here nor there. I didn't get any of the money. Where's Meyer Lansky's money? Where's Lucky's money? Where Where is all this money? Where's Siegel's money? For and, Siegel, and a lot Siegel of, I think, a, died with nothing. It's a good question because a lot of actual family members never uh, seem to get it or they don't show it. But... Money seems to disappear. Uh, just to tag on to that, when when Luciano died and the Last Testament came out, which we're not even going to get into that because you know that there's so much debate about the authenticity. However, Luciano's last mistress before he died was one of four or five people who were supposed to get royalties from that book. So the only legitimate money that you know I really talked about was that, were, were a few people that were supposed to get money from the big book deal that Martin Ghosh was supposed to be making a movie of his life, and that didn't pan out, so let's do a book. And it was uh, Lucky's last mistress I saw was on a list of recipients for 
cash from that. But back to your original thing, who knows where all the money went. Well, an interesting thing, like getting back to my conversation with uh, Freeway uh, Ricky Ross, when he was doing like, you know, $3 million a day or $250,000 a day, they were re- he was reinvesting the money as fast as he was making it so that he, he wouldn't uh, have an, uh, a lifestyle that, that showed he had money because he didn't want his mom to find out what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, well just, I, I want to hang on one second, Chris. Help me finish my thought. Because sure. It's back to, is it the money or the power? And for the life of us, we're sitting here and all of us are fairly well-read on the on the mafia, or call right. it Costa Rica, whatever you want to call it, we're fairly well read on organized crime, and that's always been my question: is where's the money? They get up every day, they go to work, they do real bad stuff for a lot of money. At the end of the day, where is it? In in a more universal way of of answering that question, I think when. The day is done, and I mean the day that it's done. A lot of these guys don't have anything worth talking about. There's there's nothing, there is nothing. I, I don't know that it's necessarily because they spend it hand over fist, but by the time, the ones that don't just get whacked early in life, the you know, the ones that actually lived out their lives, either it's reinvested or hidden very well, to take care of their moms and stuff, or they end up penniless. Some there, of them do. There was, Mark, um, Mark Boyer has a comment or a, question. There's a, also a, um, a, uh, a time differential, if you wish, uh, between the people we're talking about and modern crime. Uh, a inter- major international bank was fined uh, several billion dollars. 81. For, what? I think it was 81 billion they laundered, yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, and... The money now gets uh, washed and filtered and clean, and it's available in any number of uh, offshore havens where uh, where major governments don't have any access to. Cayman Islands, uh, kind of thing. Caicos. So who's got the account numbers? Um, well, those that uh, those that are responsible, um, like uh, like my uncle at one point. Um, but then, at the t- but the, there wasn't the kind of avenues for the lower ranking individuals to do that kind of laundering. We have to take a sixty second break to check our Swiss bank accounts. And that's a lot of bull. We'll be right back on True Crime Uncensored. cell phone, and I know you do because you probably got Grindr on there, but it's time for you to add another app. That app would be for Outlaw Radio, through the courtesy of RadioLoyalty.com. My suggestion is that you upload that app for free, mind you. Yes, totally free app. In order to be able to listen to us, the Demons of Decadence, every Saturday afternoon from 3 to 6 Pacific Standard Time or Pacific Daylight, and you'll have the Once again, this is Frank. So get off a grinder and 
get on to outlaw. Nice. Hey there, ladies and gentlemen. Last time I looked, I was still the legendary Burl Bear, raised on records, born to rock and roll, rock to the cradle of the blues. We have a great guest today who wrote a book. I write books, too. You know what I really like you to do? Buy all my books. Buy his book. Buy my book. Well, I got more than one. I got probably too many, and there's some are being remaindered. <laughs> Howard's giving me a bad time. Listen, Howard, if you would sit down and write your book, you'd know how important it is to sell a book. If you would write your 89 Days with Paul Abdul, you would know. And that's why I'm taking time out of my busy schedule of being a radio hero to sit and stare at the blank screen of my word processor and say, Burl, you better be damn brilliant by noon or your career is over. Good thing I got a backlist. So go on Amazon.com and buy all my books. Remember, the name is Burl Bearer, B-U-R-L-B-A-R-E-R. And while you're at it, buy the uh, book about uh, Lucky Luciano by our friend Chris Cipollini. And now, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. One of the few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Oh, you should have, Roger. Roger's going on tour. You know that? Yeah, Roger's going on tour. He's doing uh, afternoons and evenings of conversations with Sir Roger Moore. That's great. Yeah. He's going to do the morning show and afternoon drive. Yeah, he'll be Here. doing one of those morning zoo programs. Yeah, sure. yeah Him and his cardiologist. <laughs> so, so, thank you, thank you, gentlemen. You're, you're live. Oh, you're, Magic Matt, how you feel? Live commercial, by the way. Yeah. On a scale of one to ten. Yeah. Sucked, huh? <laughs> Chris, was going to be a bad time. That wasn't the drop I thought it was. <laughs> what drop did you think it was? I thought it was Blofeld, uh, a Bond drop. Uh, well, it wasn't. Well, you know, things not working around here. Well, that's that's just part of the course. Yeah. It's a, it uh, means it's Saturday. <laughs> that's uh, that's okay. So, Chris, I just told Burl during the uh, commercial. And we should. What's the name of your book? <laughs> Lucky Luciano, Mysterious Tales of a Gangland Legend. Wow. Oh, I'm a legend, too. Mm-hmm. And it's it. <laughs> Aren't we all? It's, of course, it's, it's the stomach. Yes. It's, uh, it's in the way. You're too close to the side at all. Would you give me a hard I'm mean, give it Howard, right? Howard's under more pressure than an astronaut. It's, uh, that's true. You gotta really, it's not easy being manager to the star. That part's the easy part. It's just not easy being me. Well, that's true. You know, I mean, you're the only one burdened with that obligation. I show up here and almost perform um, adequately. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> so, you? Yeah. No, that, uh, I think your mistress is the same thing. Uh, yeah, that's all over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, no. You, you shouldn't have any of that in your life. No, mistresses complicate things terribly. Ask Lucky Luciano. How many mistresses did he have, Chris? Uh, he had a few, uh, at least. Um, uh, he definitely had one love of his life. One of them, I would not call a mistress, even though there was debate over whether he married her or not. He always maintained that was BS and that he didn't marry her for a couple of reasons. But uh, Igea Lizzoni, when he had met, when he got exiled from Cuba back to Italy, and uh, he, he, I think, if he had one true love, I, I think it was her. The rest of them, 
were to pass the time. I mean, you know, those guys, they got in those positions and they love the showgirls and the socialites. That's well, we don't have to get in those we, we can just have women to pass the time. We're guys. That's what we do. And that's why we, <laughs> well, it's why we get divorced. <laughs> I mean, there's none of us have escaped, you know, the starter marriage. And, right? Right. Yeah, yep. and, and we learned from the starter marriage that uh, we're just as stupid the second time around. <laughs> uh, true, and men are. Uh, some of those guys, though, the the women were just as um, clever, brilliant, or manipulative, however you want to describe the gangsters. There were some women that were drawn to it and equally good at it. You bet. And, and, and how many of them actually sat and served? Not many. Most of them sat home and collected the dough, and maybe that's where the money went, you know, and, and would live uh, very, very fine lives. Um, yes. And not have to take any of the heat, other than if the guy came home and beat the crap out of him, which apparently happened a lot. Sure. Well, you know, you imagine, like, going back to the narcissism, you know there's got to be ego machismo oh, yeah. out the wazoo. I mean, Charlie was never... Uh, nobody's ever really thought of him in that way, uh, but he definitely liked the ladies. Uh, I, I, saw some, I saw some stuff out there on him that uh, that he would uh, lay the odd hand on somebody. Well, the, the story that what really started that all, and I address again the myths of it in the book. Was he really almost killed because he was just? in the wrong place at the wrong time, or was it because he beat up a girl, or was it because he dated the wrong girl, or did, you know, all these things get twisted into, okay, was he a, a misogynist, was he a wife beater, was he all these things? Was he gay? Uh, no, no evidence shows that he was, though there definitely were some gangsters that were. Mm. Well, everybody needs a hobby. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, I mean, 10% of the population is, so why wouldn't the gangster world have that? Well, sure, like anything else sure. there are. I mean, I'm sure it was very, very difficult to, you know, Come address out? that back yeah, then. Yeah, I mean, so. I can't, can't imagine how hard that would have been. But, no, Charlie li definitely liked the ladies, and there were apparently a lot that found him, uh, in a sinister way, uh, attractive. He had charm, you know, he, he, even though none of us were alive then or, or, you know, to be there to know, I think he had something that only top guys in whatever field you're in ever have, and that's a certain amount of natural uh, charm or ambiance. Well, he had star power. The guy had star power. Yeah, you know, he did. He had star power. He, he, he was a narcissist. Um, yes. He looked phenomenal. I mean, it was uh, it was Rothstein that taught him how to you know act and be. Yes. And oh, I talk. Uh, not, I'll tell you what. The the opening chapters of my book deal exclusively with his friends and his mentors, which include Rothstein, George Uffner, Meyer Lansky, uh, Frank Erickson. Some guys, you know, people have never heard of Erickson or Uffner. They molded each other, and not to get off on a tangent here, but I think, guys, we can clarify something else that I'll stand on in this book. There is a difference between mafia and the mob. The mob was what the Jewish and Italian guys did. 
the mafia was what they didn't like. Does really? that make any sense? Go, go over that again. Let's get into detail on this. Over it and define it. Okay. What Luciano was, was growing up in was what Rothstein started, and that was, I don't care if you're Irish, Jewish, Italian, let's all make money. Luciano came into that mindset, even though he worked for Italians as well that believed in the whole Sicilianness, you're out, none of this, you know, we don't like the Jews, we don't like anybody. Luciano saw the potential to work with other people to make money. The mob, the mob as we call it and they did then, was not synonymous with the word mafia because what Luciano and Lansky and Rothstein did was basically in the face of mafia beliefs. They worked as a unified group. The mafia, to me, came back into power as the mafia when Vito Genovese and a lot of these other guys took the families after Luciano had been exiled and long gone, and they pushed out whomever else was left. You know, that's how I see it. I'll take heat for that statement, but I stand by it. The word mob and mafia should not be interchanged so easily because, to me, those guys were unified. Didn't you know that cultural border was broken? Mm-hmm. Um, to, uh, to go back to a point uh, that Howard was just making about uh, the attraction of, uh, of Mr. Luciano to women, we have yeah. a phenomenon occurring right now where there is a very uh, handsome uh, Thank you. prisoner oh. uh, in, L- in Los Angeles whose mugshot went viral. And he's getting thousands. He's the most uh, uh, contacts on the LAPD Facebook uh, in history. I, I signed the guy yesterday morning. All uh, the women, you all, uh, women are falling over themselves. It's, for the, this it's, the, it's the eyes. It's all about this guy. Seriously, I mean, well, this I, is I what think, I do for a living. It's the, it's, he's got blue eyes that have they're set just right. And the, there's a couple shots of this guy that just blow people away. Uh, I think that there is an ingrained uh, need sort of thing, for women to for women to need the bad boy. They need they need a man that will take care of them. And despite the fact that this guy is in jail, has been in jail, and will stay in jail. Why is it that women get that deal, the take care of deal? You know what? We probably should have. We should have had like a psychologist I, I think it's just survival of the species. Well, there's that. We could have done that. But, but uh, no, we're just uh, like a bunch of guys sitting around, you know, complaining about it. You know, it's, it, there is, I think, I think a certain segment of population uh, is attracted to that. You know what? Even to that, guys, look at us. We're writing books about this stuff. We're watching movies like Scarface. We obviously live, men, we're living vicariously through these bad boys who make their own rules. And even James Bond fits into that. Yes. These are guys that, anti-heroes. I mean, even the good guys aren't necessarily, you know, always angels. And women are, tend to be drawn to that. I, again, I'll use the word sinister. I don't know, but... There are lots of studies actually done on this, which I have read in my research on doing my books, and uh, you're absolutely right. They are drawn to that. If a, if, a, if a guy who is like that becomes a nice guy, a good guy, 
they're not interested because the sexual vibe diminishes the nicer you are. What's oh, your yeah. book on that? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you say uh, Eastwood's Mystic River? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, there's, oh, yeah. A, there's a moment at the end of the film. Um, who was the other uh, the short, the, uh, star? Oh, what was that? Sean Penn, Sean Penn uh, and Tim uh, Laura Lenny, wasn't it? There's a moment at the end of the film uh, where Sean has realized that he killed the wrong person uh, as revenge for his daughter's death. Right. And he's in the house while they're having a wake for the person he killed, the family member he killed. And his wife comes in, the room is kind of dark, and she puts her arms around him and says, This is why I love you. I know you will always take care of me. That that moment has always stayed with me. It was so chilling. Is that the man you're looking for? Um, but the, <laughs> the, the, the concept that women are looking for that strong male, regardless of where he is in See, society. See, I'm, I'm tired of all that crap. I really, I mean... <laughs> well, we're Chris, nice guys. Chris, Chris, we're off of your book for a second, but you know, people are going to go buy your book. But, 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 and I insist on it. And they know when I, when <laughs> you I better insist. buy his book. Hey, I'm insisting on it. You buy the damn book. Yeah. <laughs> Just buy that damn book. <laughs> Just like that. Yeah, you, you t- tell your publisher, yeah, I want to go on that show because the guys go, buy your damn book. <laughs> <laughs> they chastise the other. This isn't one of those shows where, you know, we just ask you questions and it just goes back and forth. Well, I mean, we're down to, you know, I'm pissed off because because women get this great deal in the marriage thing and it has nothing to do with today's show. But, you know, <laughs> but buy his book anyway. But buy his damn book. I'm I'm glad that my topic could could get all of us pissed off at one time. This is well, it's true. <laughs> you know, God bless Lucky Luciano. He, uh, yeah. I think he had it right, damn it. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to get to this thing with World War II. You know, we had Jerry Vieira been on the show a few times, Paul Lefty's uh, great-grandnephew. Sure. And he was trying to do all this research on Paul Lefty because uh, his theory was is that uh, Lefty had been, being as that Luciano uh, English wasn't that great, that he was working with Luciano with the feds on this whole thing with uh, let's get Hitler in our spare time. And that that's the reason the FBI won't give up the information they have on Lefty, it's all sealed, because they don't want uh, all the details of how tied in the FBI was with uh, Luciano. At this point, why would anyone care? Well, we're getting to that point. No, you so know, what do you sure. say, Chris? Well, you know, you, know that, that you guys really bring up uh, some good stuff. I mean, that's what, and I, I really hope this book would do what you guys are already doing with it. It's, it's a tough one to address. Because none of us are in those vaults and those files, and we weren't alive then or present. Um, however, just going by what Luciano said to a couple reporters in the 1950s about it, he said, look, you want to know how I got out of jail? He said, my guys got a file on a very prominent politician, and if you think I was bad... If you would have saw what we had on him, he said, we threw it on his desk and said, let Lucky out of jail or else. He didn't really do, I don't believe, a whole hell of a lot to change the course of World War II, with the exception 
the, the docks probably were a little safer in New York because the mob ran them and everybody said, okay, guys, you know, watch the docks for Nazis. Granted, Bugsy Siegel hated Nazis. So did Lansky. Um, well, yeah, so does Indiana Jones. Yeah. You know, did they do stuff? I'm sure they did. But did Luciano change the course of World War II? He did something that made, uh, you know, the government let him go. But was the government friendly with Frank Costello and guys like that, too? Yeah. And was there the figurative file on perhaps Thomas A. Dewey or even Hoover himself? What do you think they had on these guys? Me, personally, I think that they probably had dirt on prosecute. well, then Governor Dewey, and I'm... I'm actually leaning more more towards they had shit on um, Hoover himself. I really do personally believe those guys had stuff on Hoover. What kind of and stuff I, did they have on him, do you think? Well, I mean, we all know now, you know, the Hoover's, you know, private life back then would have been, you know, that would have been awful PR. But I think Thanks. they had that information in a detailed way that they would have. Now, for those problems. of us in the audience who don't know about Hoover's private oh, life. Oh, okay, well, Hoover was um, in the closet. He was a homosexual. His uh, He was said to have also been a cross-dresser. I mean, we don't know about that. We do know that he definitely was a homosexual man and that he denied the existence of the mafia for a very long time, and nobody could really understand why the head of the FBI would deny it. He was getting a but discount yeah, on he, women's clothing. There are so many jokes to be made with this. I'm not even sure I want to go there. Um, but in, in reality, I do think the mafia had as much on him or, or Prosecutor Thomas A. Dewey as they did on the mob. I really do. I think those guys were, were like, you're going to do us a favor or we're going to do you one. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like uh, George Durante said that uh, when she did her book, uh, yeah, The Company She Keeps, uh, yeah, The Company She Keeps about being a, a mob wife, and uh, we asked her if she was afraid of reprisals. She said, not from the mob, but from the feds, because mm -hmm. she said that I was the money I was delivering to be laundered, I was delivering to the FBI. <laughs> That's just one thing. I mean, if you're Luciano and, and Costello, and the list goes on, if you're those guys, if you're the five families, if you're Meyer Lansky, and you run these businesses, you, you kind of know, well, you've got a priority to know something about your competition. Absolutely. You have to know. And they, I, I guarantee you, they had stuff on their competition, meaning the government, like coming and going. That's, oh, sure. they, that's the only way they stayed in business. Do you know, you know, guys, when you think about it, and this may seem really, really weird to some people, but there is, or was, almost a mutual respect in, in certain ways, too, because if you even think of the whole World War II theory, why would the government go to the mob to ask for favors? And it goes to your point. Well, everybody kept tabs on each other, and sometimes you got to scratch each other's back, even if it's only a little BS here and there. Do you, you know, what I mean? things were different then, and maybe they're not that different now. It's just on a different global scale. But you think that the 
I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I think there was a lot of back scratching, and then sometimes when they're pissed off, they go after each I other. I think that there's a back scratching in almost every business. Um, I can talk to show business because that's pretty much the business I've been in. But and I have my enemies, uh, believe me. Um, sure. But they uh, they have me. And then there's the day where we meet and nobody knows it, but we've got to take care of something that it becomes mutually profitable. And it's about the business. It's about the business. And then I'll stab the guy later. <laughs> yeah. No, well, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, you know how you know who your friends in Hollywood are. They're the ones that stab you in the chest. So it's, uh, it, it, but it's, but it's, that's fact. Now, when you, the mob, uh, same thing. Look, those guys were extraordinarily bright. Yes. You have to admit that. With all the yes. research you've done, you're talking about Luciano. This guy, extraordinarily bright. Extraordinarily well, think about how, how nationally large it became from just new, you know, from just little guys in New York to national level. What you had to think about and worry about and and prioritize and change and. I mean, come on, a lot of businesses today uh, were, are fashioned on some of the systems those guys did. It, it's, it's incredible. I don't even know if I'd want that kind of pressure. Well, it goes back to getting up in the morning and, you know, what's your day like? You know, uh, you know Luciano uh, figured out how to organize almost everything, certainly in New York. And, and so much of it carried through in Chicago, Los Angeles, Vegas, uh, Cuba, yeah, Miami. I, I, you know, at least at all. And he was like the CEO of this company, which he was. And they had plenty of money and plenty of resources. This is one thing that he's just getting back because I had this uh, similar conversation with, with Freeway Rick. Is that when they were going after him and they couldn't get him, the cops said, their sophistication is above ours. Their equipment, their resources, they're using voice scramblers. <laughs> because it's their business. Yeah, it was their business. They looked at it like business. But yep. in, uh, in Goodfellows, uh, Henry Hill, Overvoice, you know, I was talking about the life, and he's going, you know, if we wanted something, we took it. If we needed something, we went and got it. Uh, we viewed the nine-to-fivers as schmucks. Right. And it's the, the, the freedom that, that the life represented was alluring on top so of So, Mark, are you saying, so back to power and money? Yes, well, I think... the power I think, to have freedom? I think they go together. I but think that uh, once which, you start... What, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Money comes first because you're at the bottom, and you mm -hmm. get some money. And you recognize the person above you with a little power makes more money. So you try to move up to get more power to make more money, and you keep trying to increase the level of power so your earning goes up. The, more, the higher up, the more power you have, the more of the pie you keep for yourself. All well said, where's the money? The money, uh, from everything I've heard over the last five years doing this show, the money, for the most part, gets spent because you can't show or have it around. What was the, uh, the, 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 the drug king um, that uh, Denzel Washington pl played? Uh, oh, yeah, the, the, the fake Frank one. Lucas. Yeah. Right. Well, it's based on, based on fact, a good portion of the money that he didn't spend on the business was sticking in the in the ground in his backyard, where the bad, where the other bad guys coming after him found it. Uh, Frank he, Matthews with his eight million dollars in a safe deposit box. So oh, yeah. a lot I just, of the I money just needs like a half a million. I'm off the hook. Where are these? 
<laughs> so um, I think um, you're thinking in terms of us where we set up a 401K or have a, a Fidelity account and invest it. Uh, you know, there isn't, there wasn't legal avenues for most of these guys to do with the money. So the money got spent, given away, or lost a- after they, they no longer had the power. Yeah, the right. thing of giving it away is, is interesting, you know, because, you know, like Al Capone was doing the soup kitchens. And uh, as right. Rick was saying, one of the, the great perks about being a wealthy drug dealer is he'd drive around the hood. And he had one guy with him whose job was just to take care of the petty cash that they used to pay people's rent, to get people's cars out of hawk, to, you know, to, to help out the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, you get the neighborhood on your side, the cops don't, don't have a foothold. Yeah. Well, it was the same right. thing it's, with the Colombians. It's not... It's not- it seems like great PR, and it is, and and as you guys know, um, it's not always because they're just nice guys, but it also is a lot of good PR when you can get a neighborhood to back you up and keep the cops at bay. So you know, there's a fine line between how nice of a guy you really are and if you're really just protecting your own ass. Is it keep the cops at bay or keep their seat at the table warm? Hmm, hmm. See, another chicken and egg thing. Um, I, think, hey, we're gonna... I think there's another take on it. Um, there's an old saying, you know, the, you know, you can get more with a spoonful of sugar. Yeah, with a gun and a yeah. bottle of vinegar. And I think, as, as Howard mentioned, these guys were, uh, the ones that succeeded were rather bright. And they recognized that fear, um, and, fear and, and um, reprisal, for the most part, was counterproductive. And that the alternate tact of being the friend, being the supporter, provided more loyalty than the other way around. Because otherwise you build resentments. Now, Howard Hughes' technique was always to create a crisis for your enemy and then provide the solution. Mm-hmm. Well, that works. Uh, that works. And that makes him indebted to you and makes him your pal and no longer your enemy. You create the crisis, you solve the problem. They're still your enemy, bro. You're still your enemy, but, but at least they, they go, hmm, thank you. Yeah. Well, that's how we ended up with the Desert Inn. Yeah. And the Desert Inn has heart. It does. does. Yeah, remember. <laughs> the Desert Inn has heart. The Desert Inn has Title of the book again is? Lucky Luciano, Mysterious Tales of a Gangland Legend. Ah, oh, yeah. Sounds like my autobiography. Uh, isn't it? <laughs> I thought I took that from you. <laughs> so okay, now you, you've been, you've done all this research on Luciano. You got stuff in the book that's going to be controversial. That people who are Luciano aficionados are going to be talking about your book. They're going to be debating it. They probably already are online. They're probably saying, "Oh, he's got it all wrong," or "He's got it all right." The problem, right. which is, the more they argue about what's in the book, the better it is for you. Absolutely. And so we're all in favor of that. So uh, buy his book and then get to an argument. <laughs> my yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> hey, uh, Chris, remember what I said? To, the, to the audience? Buy the damn book already. I think I said Buy that. the damn book <laughs> already. Uh, can, you, can you get your damn book? Uh, can you get your wonderful book uh, yeah, yeah, both yeah, yeah, in uh, paperback and an they, e-book? Right? They can get that damn book in paperback <laughs> with, oh, by the way, though, I am pretty proud of of over 50 really cool pictures in there, too. So for wow. the ones that want the pictures. Any um, of them in the mob? 
Is that like pictures of your wife and kids? I mean, what's in there? Stop well, it's not, yeah, it's all, it's, no, it's all self-portraits. I just filled <laughs> like 50 pages because <laughs> I'm an egomaniac narcissist. It's a, um, no, it's so, uh, 21 on the Dr. Drew scale. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, the book's available Amazon, Barnes & Noble, even Walmart. So wow. hopefully people well, like it. Have it printed in China? <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, I know, really. What is it, like $3 at Walmart or something? I don't know. Hey, did all the mob money go to set up Walmart? There's there's a theory for you. That's, that's next well, it's book. The, it's, Why don't the, we all... it's the government's money that supports Walmart. You uh, know that. Oh, oh, I'm not even going there. Uh, you guys are, oh, what a can of worms. I'm not even going there. <laughs> that is a can of worms. Next book. Speaking of which, what is your next book? Oh, boy, guys. My next one is also part of the Gangland Mysteries uh, line of books, and it's going to be on Murder Incorporated. Ooh. Oh, there we go. Oh, there a, we go. When, uh, when do we see that, you know? Actually, it's going to be out uh, mid-February of 2015. Oh, okay. So, so you're already working on that one. So you're, oh, back, you're, back with this, uh, you're back with us at the top of the year. That's good. Yeah, I, I, I look forward to it because I love coming on with you crazy people. <laughs> is, there, is there a way to steal his book from the internet without giving him any of the proceeds? Of yes. The yeah, watch this. Uh, Chris, would you send yeah. us a couple books? <laughs> uh, you know what? I will, and I'll have them personally delivered by a couple big, burly guys. Um, <laughs> what about the ones in the high heels? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I'll, high definitely, heels too, and, I'll and send that guys. one. Okay, I I'll, know you'll like that guy. Uh, I'll send him. I'll email you my mailing address, and if you could send a couple, one for a producer and uh, one for Howard, that would be awfully nice. Sign no, we'll the signature you up. page. You know thank I you. Hook you guys up. Love it. Yeah. Love that's it. It. Well, thank you very much. Now, now let's see. Uh, is, oh, next week, you probably know this guy. Uh, Michael uh, Gordine, the most corrupt cop uh, from the NYPD, is returning. Ah, that'll be oh, fun. Oh, friend of mine. You know friend Michael? Oh, actually, Michael's been very good to me, yes. Oh, did he hook you up? I I haven't met him face to face, but of course he's been on the show. And uh, I got the biggest kick out of him because for a guy who made his money being dishonest, he's one of the most honest guys that I've yeah. ever had the pleasure of talking to. If you ask him a question, he is going to give you an honest answer. Well, isn't that uh, the most successful criminals have a code of honesty within their criminal activities that allow them to succeed? Cool. Well, there's also, there is no honor among thieves, and I'm sure McMahon will tell you that, too. You can't trust whoever you even think is your buddy in, you know. In anything. No, you can't. That's, yeah, I mean, that's What the heck really is that anything. all about? You know, for instance, Chris, I wouldn't trust you to throw you. <laughs> you know what? I, I figured you wouldn't, and See? I was going to tell you the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I like this guy. Oh, please. Yeah. Can't wait, I can't wait for January now. <laughs> uh, it'll be back. fun. Yeah. One of your, we want to be the top of your order. When you always are, are, though. Oh, okay. You, okay. Guys all, you. you guys all have been since the first time. Great. Excellent. People probably come to you and say, I'm going to be on True Crime Uncensored with Burl Howard and Mark. Is there anything I should know before I go on the show? Now, let all the other <laughs> bastards, all the other bastards can do their research from our show. <laughs> That's right. I listened to your show. That's how I knew what I was in for a oh, long no, time. No, no, See, that'll, that probably warned well, you well in advance. Hey, Chris, Chris, well, our Chris. sincere sympathies. No, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank <laughs> you. Like, we're not the only one who listens, you know. We have an audience of at least five or six. I was going to say six. Six, yeah. yeah. Well, Dan, I was thinking around three, but no, that's even better now. 
Yeah. Erin Moriarty, she she likes her show. She does. Well, she loves she's the a show. crime hottie. She's a crime hottie. Mystery baby. We have these uh, women that do the show, Chris. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if you've heard this, but then Burl... I mean, he does it with his fly down. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous what goes on here. It really, it really is. Uh, the first question I always ask is, what are you wearing? Yeah. And, so, and, Chris, and that, what are you that, wearing? And that aggravates me. No, <laughs> Chris, thanks a lot. Yeah, we Chris, look forward to having you back in the new year. I look forward to it, guys. I'll get you some books. Thank Great. you again. Thank you. Very kind. Thank you very much. Okay. The Baha'i Faith. Good deeds, nice people. And a history of being persecuted, abused, and insulted, let's face it, not everybody appreciates the teachings of the Baha'i Faith. The Baha'i Faith encourages racial unity and interracial harmony, so racists don't like it. The Baha'i Faith upholds the equality of women, so sexists don't like it. The Baha'i Faith proclaims the harmony of science and religion, so the superstitious don't like it. And because the Baha'i Faith teaches that tolerance and love are the very foundations of a healthy community, Extremist fanatics don't like it. So, if you're a racist, sexist, superstitious fanatic, chances are you won't like the Baha'is at all. But if you have an open mind and a kind heart, hey, call us. You sound like a Baha'i already. For more information on the Baha'i faith, simply look in the phone book under Baha'i, B-A-H-A apostrophe I. Oh, the snot has caked against my pants. It has turned into crystal There's a bluebird sitting on a branch I guess I'll take my pistol I've got it in my hand Because he's on my land And so the story ended You, you know it all so well Oh, shit, you need I'll tell you Yes, I'll see you sitting on the couch I recognize your artillery I have seen you many times before Once when I was in India And I was on my land why can't you understand? And so the story ended You, you know it all so well Or should you need, I'll tell you
caked against my pants It has turned into crystal There's a bluebird sitting on a branch I guess I'll take my pistol I've got it in my hand Because he's on my land And so the story ended You, you know it oh so well Or should you need 